This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about the six title fights in the UFC between now and October and rank them for which ones have the biggest upset potential. We'll also talk to UFC headliner Cynthia Calvillo as she takes on Jessica I this weekend. Plus, NASCAR has banned the Confederate flag from all of their events and properties. What has the fallout been? We'll discuss it. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. And don't forget about the mailbag, Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. Happy Thursday to you. Now, let's be honest about the state of the sport. There is a card this weekend, and there are a couple of decent fights on it. Main event is a decent fight. You know, there's some criticism about whether it should be a main event, and I tend to think people are a little bit... I just, I just don't know what you want from UFC, you know? Like, I'm, I'm willing to criticize them about fighter pay because I feel like that's a, a pretty easy issue to get on their case because even when times were good, they didn't do it. So all this nonsense about, like, the pandemic, I just don't buy. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll die on that hill. But people being like, oh, man, how come these cards aren't better? I'm like, fellas, I'm not here to tell you that the card's great. I'm not going to sit here and make that case. But what I am going to say is, what are we doing here? I mean, come on. Can you be a little bit more understanding of what the UFC is up against here? You know, I mean, <laughs> we're in an unprecedented once in a century event, whether you think it's real or fake or kind of bad or whether you think it's the worst thing ever. I don't care. The governments are what they are. The situation is what it is. And UFC is trying to do their best in terms of matchmaking inside of that space. So if you want to criticize their COVID protocol, we can have that conversation. You know what I mean? If you want to do all that other stuff, we can have that fighter pay. But the card's not being great. I mean, it's like, I don't know what you want. I really don't know what you want. Um, oh, we should have made Aljamain versus uh, Corey a five-round fight and put it here. Well, you know, hindsight being what it is, it wouldn't have mattered. And uh, I kind of think having that bantamweight showcase on the card was kind of cool, to be honest with you. So I don't really mind that. Um, but that's, you know, I guess your mileage will vary on this kind of thing. All right. So let me start the show with a bit of a, a question for you guys. Let's open up the phone line see what you think. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Let's do this. The UFC yesterday announced a series of fights, but some other ones were reported. Let's assume for a moment that between the announcements and all the reports, everything that went public was true. Okay, let's assume that for a second. That would mean between now and October 1st, you have at least six title fights. Okay, six. So, what are those six? Well, three of them were announced. Well, actually more than that, but three of them were definitely announced. You're going to have your featherweight title up for grabs uh, at UFC 251, Volkanovski and Holloway. You're going to have your welterweight title up for grabs. You're going to have Burns versus um, uh, Usman. And at UFC 251, remember, this is just one event. We've got six title fights coming, but it's just one event. And then the last, but certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, not the least of them, your bantamweight title fight, Peter Yan taking on Jose Aldo. So those are three fights you have right there. Let me give you the other three that we know about. The very next week, it is believed at UFC Fight Night 174 is technically the, 
the uh, or I think it might even be 175. I have to double check, but certainly in that month, you're going to have. Um, I believe that's right. Yes, I'm trying to make just make sure here. Yes, I believe that's correct. Um, you're going to have the flyaway title up for grabs, right? So you got Benavidez and uh, Formiga. No, excuse me, Benavidez and Figueredo. Sorry. So that's four. 125, 135, 145, now 170. Okay, let's add to that. In September, it was reported Justin Gaethje is going to fight Nurmagomedov. So now we have 125 up, 135 up, 145 up, 155 up, now 170. And then last but not least, the heavyweight title up for grabs at uh, UFC, whatever it is in August, 252, I think. So you have six title fights between now and October 1st. Which of them has the greatest upset potential? 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. What would you say? Would you say it's Benavidez because things will go different this time? Would you say it's, I think Aldo's going to be the underdog, but because it's Aldo, he could you know, make something happen? Would you say it's Max because the first fight in your mind might have been close? Would you say it's Justin because he's the guy to beat Nurmagomedov? Would it, would it be Burns because he's a bad matchup in your mind potentially? For Usman, would it be, I think DC's the favorite. So would it be Stipe? Now, when we say biggest upset, we are talking about what the odds makers might imagine, not who you think it might be. So some of the odds on this one, if I can go ahead and put these out uh, real quickly. Uh, let's see. Usman versus Burns is going to have Gilbert Burns at plus 165. Uh, Max Holloway plus 155. Aldo uh, plus 190. So your underdogs are Aldo, Holloway, and Burns, but very little by each of them. Then, uh, the, the week after that, Figueredo is your favorite. Benavidez plus 190. Uh, then, Cormier is your slight favorite. Minus 130 to plus 110 for Stipe. And then, it goes on down the list. Nurmagomedov is a... Uh, God, actually, you can get odds on Nurmagomedov and Mayweather. That ain't never going to happen. Are y'all crazy? Are y'all high? Uh, but Gaethje is a slight underdog, a plus 175 to Nurmagomedov's minus 210. So your underdogs are Gaethje, uh, Benavidez, uh, Burns, Volkanov, excuse me, Burns, Holloway, and Jan. No, what am I saying? Burns, Holloway, and Aldo. All right, so from 125, your underdog. Benavidez at 135, Aldo at 145, um, uh, Holloway at 155, Gaethje at 175, excuse me, 170, Burns at heavyweight, Stipe. Can you believe all those guys are underdogs? Is that crazy or what? A couple of them here or there, you can imagine. Those are all underdogs. And I'm trying to look here of all of them. So at 125, there is no champion. At 135, there is no champion. At 145, the champion is favored. At 155, the champ is favored. At 170, the champ is favored. The only champ not favored to win in that group of six is Stipe. Isn't that wild? And he was the one that won the last fight. Isn't that crazy? All right, so phone lines are open. 877-FIGHT-93. 877-344-4893. Cobb, come to the microphone if you can here for just a minute. We talked about this topic yesterday. I kind of love this one. Uh, 
of the six names I mentioned, which one has the greatest upset potential? And if the answer isn't Stipe, how is it possible that the reigning weight class champion is not the answer? Don't you find that amazing? Yeah, that's an interesting one, man. I didn't realize he was not the favorite going in. Um, no, no, he's though, he's a slight he's a slight underdog. Understand, it's plus one ten for Stipe, minus one thirty. You know that could move, by the way. So by the time fights come around, he could end up being the favorite. You know what I'm saying? So that's just what it is at the moment. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, the champion should be the kind of the favorite going in. But I'm going to put my upset potential biggest one. I've been a believer since late last year. I've been a believer all year long. I said he'd beat Tony Ferguson. I'm going to go with Justin Gaethje beating him. Ooh. I'm a, I'm a total believer in the new in Justin Gaethje 2.0. Okay, so tell me why. Give me your reason. I mean, you have belief in him, but, you know, obviously Khabib is, is not Tony Ferguson. They fight totally different. I've slept on Khabib. I got it way wrong when I thought Poirier would be Khabib. But uh, I think between the wrestling background and just – Justin's timing on his striking now, he looks like he's way more calculated. He's very smart. You got the Trevor Whitman connection. Of, we, we have praised Trevor Whitman for what he's been able to do and that, and that partnership that the two of them have, man. I think it's a special thing they're doing, and I think Justin Gaethje has the tools to get it done. All right. Well, Cobb thinks it's Justin Gaethje, which is funny. Although, you know what? Technically, he's a champion too, Cobb. Uh, in fairness, if we're actually playing this the correct way, because he's the interim champ, so we True. should what, kind of acknowledge that. on him, by the way? I missed that. For which one? For Gaethje? Uh, yeah. For Gaethje, they are. Let me see and dig them up here. Uh, plus one seventy-five, minus two ten. For uh, Nurmagomedov, is minus two ten. That's a little that strong, if you ask me. I might bet that one again too. Oh <laughs> snap! <laughs> old betting, old betting, king of bandits. All right, what do you think? Who's got the biggest upset potential of those six title fights? I'm going to try and rank them on the air. I'm going to try and go through who I think has the least amount of upset potential with the most amount of upset potential. We'll talk about it next. This week on World of Basketball, Hall of Fame coach and Iona head coach Rick Patino joined the show, and he spoke about the crazy eccentric owner of his old team, Panathinaikos. He was fined uh, $300,000 after a victory. He went in the official's locker room and threatened the mothers, the daughters, the sisters of all the referees and told the referees they would not get out of Greece alive. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. Let's do this if we can. The six title fights between now and October. 125, Devison Figueredo taking on Joseph Benavidez. 135, Peter Jan versus Jose Aldo. 145, the champion uh, Volkanovski versus the former champion Holloway. 155, the undisputed champion in the case of Khabib, and I guess the interim one in Justin Gaethje. And then 170, Kamaru Usman, the champion, taking on Gilbert Burns. Then at heavyweight, Cormier and Stipe, three. Okay. Uh, of the six there, which has the biggest upset potential? 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. So that's the first of them. As I mentioned, the undisputed champion in Stipe is, uh, 
is the only one who's underdog. Although I guess if you wanted to say that Gaethje also should count as a champion, then he would also be an underdog. The underdogs as it stands today are at 125, Benavidez at 135, Aldo at 145, Holloway at 155, your interim champion Gaethje at 170, Burns and uh, at uh, 20 or two heavyweight, essentially 265. Um, it's going to be Stipe, your reigning weight class champion. Okay, so let me see if I can rank these, Cobb, in order here. So you believe that the answer is Gaethje, right? Gaethje is your highest upset potential. Correct. I'm going to say I'm going to say I'm going to put Stipe as your highest upset potential. Although I take your point, if it's not Stipe, it's Justin. So for me, Justin goes two. What do you think about putting Stipe one? Eh, like I said, I mean, I, it's close. He's, he's already right. proven he could win. Yeah, but like I said, he's the champion going in. They've already proven it's close odds. You're right. It might the line might move once we get there. To me, he probably should be the favorite with the champion and the way he figured it out and won. You got to figure out if DC's figured out how to close up that little hole that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I would go Justin one. But if you want to put Stipe one, that's fine. Okay. Now that after that, it gets a little bit dicey. I'm going to make the list here for. Excuse me, then five and then six. So the names we have remaining are Benavidez. And this is in no particular order other than weight class, right? I'm not like ranking them in terms of the overall question. Then you're going to have Aldo. Then you're going to have Holloway. And then you're going to have, uh, let's see, we already picked Gaethje. Then you're going to have Burns. Okay, so Benavidez, Aldo, Holloway, and Burns. Who has the greatest upset potential? Cobb, I'm going to go for three. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to choose between two of them here. I'm going to go with Holloway. Actually, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Burns, Cobb. I want to tell you why. All right? I am of the belief that Holloway can beat Volkanovski, but the fact that they haven't had a fight neither of them since then and that the first fight wasn't that long ago let me see when was that last fight of theirs it was um max holloway versus volkanovsky the first one it was uh, back in december it wasn't that long ago so we're talking about six months later to me i just don't know if that's enough time for holloway who i you guys know we i love holloway i think he's great uh, just amazing I think I've broken down Holloway's game more than any other person's game ever in uh, all my years because I just am in love with it. But, you know, Volkanovsky had a great answer for him. So, so I don't know how I feel about that, but Burns to me, Cobb, to me, he can wrestle. If Kamaru decides to wrestle, I think he's going to be, you know, tempting fate. So to me, it's going to be a little bit on the feet. And I like Burns' speed. And I like his I like his ability to be clever. What do you think? You like Burns yeah, at three? Asking, no, I was I was gonna put Burns at three. Just I think the style matchup is just a little bit more in favor of an upset than what we saw with Holloway and Volkanovski. And it was a close. I mean, Volkanovski clearly won that fight, in my opinion. And maybe Max only has to make a few adjustments, but yeah, based considering there hasn't much time gone by since that fight. It's hard not to pick Volkanovski for in a rematch. Yeah. Uh, okay. So with that being said, at eight seven seven fight ninety three, we'd love to get your perspective. Nobody cares about this topic. That's all right. Uh, I'm going to go Holloway at four. 
And the reason I'm going to go Holloway at four is because, as Cobb indicated, the first fight to me, it wasn't close in the sense that, you know, um, if you went through and added up the rounds, you know, uh, Volkanovski won either all of them or maybe lost one. And you can just go and look at it and say, you know, one guy was just clearly ahead of the other guy all round, basically. Now, as Holloway made a bit of an adjustment later in the fight and started going to the body, some of that went away. So you're like, okay, that's a little bit different, right? Now he's starting to have a little bit more success. But there, even then, there just wasn't enough of it. So, like, you know, however you scored it, I forget what the scores exactly were. It was a unanimous decision, I think, if memory serves. Uh, I believe that's right. Um, you know, p- part of me is sitting here thinking, all right, you know. Uh, I mean, here's the basic gist. Volkanovsky was doing something that Max had no answer for. And I think if you're a Max fan, which all of us are on this show, you need to accept that fact. That's just a reality, okay? On the other hand, the distance between them, not the physical distance, but in terms of what they were doing in each round was not so great. And it was not as if, uh, you know, he took some kind of tremendous beating. He didn't. Max did not walk out of there with much more than a scratch on him. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, if there wasn't that much of a distance between them, then surely he might be able to make it up in the end. Uh, I, I don't know that that's true or not. We're just talking about, you know, possible upsets here. But for that reason, I'm going to go Holloway. I mean, these are all kind of close, folks. I mean, I'm not giving you anything where there's like a, a real clear answer here. So that leaves us two more. Benavidez and Aldo. And this is frankly to me a tougher choice than you might imagine because Aldo lost but overperformed. Benavidez also lost but to me kind of underperformed. Like I just don't believe that's the best of Benavidez. So am I right to think that he should go five and Aldo should go six even though Aldo looked pretty good against Marais? I mean he lost. He lost but he looked pretty good and he was able to to have some success. Let me think about this one for a second. Going back to the odds, what do the odds makers think? And again, they're going to make these in a way to, you know, induce betting. They've got Benavidez as a plus 190, and they've got Figueredo as a minus 230. They've got Jan uh, identical. Wow. Uh, Aldo plus 190, Jan minus 230. Yeah, it's about the same, the odds makers. Hmm. That is tough. Um, Man, and you know what? Benavidez really wasn't in it in the first one either. You know what? I'm actually going to give Aldo the fifth spot. I may live wow. to regret. I, I may live to regret that. Hold on. But the reason why is because Benavidez in the first fight with Figueredo showed not much. I actually think Aldo might be able to show a little bit more than that. You would have Aldo six. Why? I don't know. I might just be hating on the fact that he's even getting this title shot. Um, I just think that wasn't, I think you're right. I think Benavidez kind of underperformed plus fig- I had to double check myself. I, was, I don't know. I wasn't sure if I was going to say Formiga or Figueredo. Uh, Figueredo was also overweight in that fight too. Yeah. He looked like noticeably bigger than Benavidez. Um, I don't know, man. I feel like that wasn't the top Joe Benavidez that we're used to seeing. It could happen again, but I would give Benavidez the edge there. I just don't think, I think Jan's is a little bit too good to get beat by Aldo. That's interesting. You know, here's the thing. I'm trying to like work against my own biases. Like there's, in other words, there's a part of my brain that's like, 
uh, Aldo shouldn't even be here. Put him sixth. And then there's another part of me. It's like, okay, am I just being a hater to be a hater? Like, is there more to this story than I'm letting on? And so between that and then the actual loss that Benavidez suffered, I might be being a bit harsh on him. So you might have a point because Cobb's list would go, let's see, Gaethje one, right? Two would be Stipe, right? Correct. All right. Three would be Burns. Yes. Four would be Holloway. Correct. Five would be Benavidez. Six would be Aldo. And that's not a bad list either. That's not a, I like your list. I think it's okay. Is it, it, we only differ in three spots and uh, well, four technically, but not, not heavily on one and two more so on five and six, but even then I could really sub either of those ones out. And we kind of agree exactly in the middle. Still, that's the way I think Cobb and I look at this either Stipe or Justin probably has your biggest upset potential in the middle, either Burns or Holloway. And then at the end, Aldo or Benavidez. And from there, no one really knows. Of course, no one really knows what's going to happen in the end anyway, but that seems to be our best sense of things. It's going to be a fun time to follow, man. It's going to be an interesting, interesting, let's see, what is it now? June. So June, July, August, September, and three months and some change. It's going to be pretty fun. Talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling. This is Busted Open. WWE Hall of Famer, Devon Dudley. We don't have Dr. King anymore. We don't have Malcolm X. We don't have some of the great leaders of yesterday that led these peaceful marches and that got results. We need leaders that are respected in the black community that black people will listen to. Busted Open, Monday through Saturday, 9 to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Well, there is an event this weekend, UFC Fight Night. I versus Calvijo. It is going to be, of course, the UFC Apex, blah, 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 blah. And uh, the main event, of course, Jessica I at Flyweight taking on at Flyweight. This is interesting. Our next guest, she joins us, I think, via the magic of Zoom. It's Cynthia Calvijo. Hi, Cynthia. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great, um, especially because uh, it's weight cut day and I'm fighting at Flyweight instead of Strawweight. So. Yeah. Uh, how, how good does it feel? What's, what's the difference like? Um, I can eat more <laughs> during fight week, you know, and during fight week it's, uh, and also it's just like, I usually have to like really cut down to my, be very strict with my diet, like, you know, weeks out and, um, I can eat more hearty meal, you know, it's kind of like what Connor likes to say, you know, you see me on salads now you'll watch me on steak, you know? So, um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. I feel like more energetic. Now, the, the interesting part about going up a weight class is people always think of it like, oh, I've got 10 pounds to play with, but you got to play with it correctly, right? You have to, you, you can't just put on 10 pounds of fat, which of course I'm not saying you're doing, but there's a, there's a way to do it properly. So in, it's not just that you're eating more, I'm guessing, or heartier. Like, are you trying to get stronger? Are you just trying to have less suffering from the weight, cl- the weight cut? What is, what, is the, what is the physical difference in terms of how you're feeling, not just weight cut week, but in terms of what that extra weight gives you? I mean, I just, I just feel like I'm at my full potential. I think before I like wasn't eating correctly. I don't feel like I was supplementing myself. I was trying to like, just make sure I keep my weight down. Um, and I just don't feel like I was giving myself enough nutrients to really push hard through all my sessions. Although I always train hard. Um, I don't think that I was at my best. And I think that this is the appropriate weight class for me. Um, you know, I started off fighting at, at 25 or 35, 25s and, and I moved down to strawweight just because there was no flyweight division. I mean, there was no flyweight division at the time. So, um, it's just, it's just way better for me. Uh, it's way more healthier. 
Very good. All right. Um, now, as I understand it, you are now over at uh, AKA. Is that true? American Kickboxing Academy? Yes. This is that's uh, where I'm training. Okay. How'd you end up there, of all places? Um, well, it's in my hometown where I was born and raised in San Jose. And um, I previously had never gone to AKA because there was only a, a ton of big guys, not really, you know, any training partners my size. That's why I had gone up to uh, Team Alpha Mel to train there. Um, you know, and after, you know, some time, um, I thought, you know, it's time to move on. I had left Team Alpha Mel and I've been looking for a place I need a team to train with to prepare for these battles. And so um, while I was at home, um, I went to AKA just to get a little bit of training and I noticed that they actually have a ton of people there for me to train with a lot of bodies, my size now. So I was like, man, you know, maybe, maybe this is the place. So I trained there for a little bit and, uh, you know, I decided to stick around. So that's, that's why I ended up at AKA. So they, but do they have, uh, you say people your size, does that mean mostly men? Do they have, I mean, the last time I was at AKA, this was a while ago, I saw Betch Cohea there and I'm guessing she's not still there, but um, it, like, to what extent are there women who are, let's say, 115 to 135 in that range? There is. Um, we actually have two UFC fighter, two UFC strawweight fighters um, that are new to the UFC uh, roster. But uh, uh, we have Mallory Martin. She fights at strawweight. And then Brianna Van Buren, who actually fights next week. Um, she cross trains there a lot. Um, so we do we do have some women there, but um, mostly all my training partners are guys. You prefer that? I usually do, but I also, it's nice to train with people where it's a more realistic look. So you know what you're getting into, but I usually like training with guys. I just think obviously it's a little bit tougher, but at the same time, um, sometimes it's really hard to come by a high caliber, you know, the high level women training partners. So, um, I usually do prefer training with the guys. Is it, um, is it, uh, what, what is the, um, what is the challenge in training with dudes, right? There must be some benefits to it, but there's probably some drawbacks too. What are some of the drawbacks? I mean, obviously their strength, if they can just like kind of, you know, it's just in comparison. I would never probably challenge a dude to like fight. Like that's just not <laughs> right. But um, it makes me push harder because obviously they are stronger than me. Um, a lot of them obviously, they're more technical than a lot of the girls that are up and coming. So um, I, that's where, that's why I prefer training with guys because like I said, there's not many women out there, but, um, yeah, I would say they're stronger than me. So of course that's the setback. Sometimes if you don't have a woman to train with, you don't get a realistic look and you might not engage as much. You might pull a little bit back because you don't want to go toe to toe, you know, hard shot for hard shot with a guy, but you can do that with a girl. So, um, yeah, so I, I would say that's, that's the difference. So the last time I saw you, we were at the hotel, the host hotel in DC and, uh, you, your weight cut had gone, I think it's fair to say gone poorly. Uh, and then you had the draw against Marina Rodriguez. Was that one of those moments where you were like, I don't know, something has to change. You changed weight classes and then teams. Why, why overhaul everything at that point? I think I had a tough year, um, overall and I was struggling a little bit. Um, once I had left the team, um, there was just a lot of behind the scene things that were going on that were affecting me. And, you know, my thing was, it's like, you know, you got to push through it. So it's like, I might've not gotten the outcome that I wanted, but the most important thing was, it's like, how, how are you going to deal with this? How are you going to move from this adversity and, you know, and, and move forward? So, um, that's, that's what we're, we're doing now. You know, sometimes you got to just make changes and, and keep moving forward and, uh, 
you know, learn how to deal with life. You know, you're always going to have ups and downs. So, and sometimes you, you know, the plans change, but you know, the goal remains the same. Who's going to be in your corner for this fight? Uh, for this fight, I'm going to have my coach, uh, Ron Kessler. He's one of the main coaches are at AKA and I have one of my training partners and another teammate as well. Right. So like, I guess I don't even know how AKA works anymore. Does Javier Mendez, does he do a lot of cornering at this point or not really? Uh, he does. Um, I know he corners some of the other fighters, mostly, you know, obviously he's always in Khabib's corner. Um, for me, I think, uh, because I was just fairly new, I was trying to get comfortable with everybody. I didn't want to put a bunch of new people in, in my corner and stuff like that. But I feel like if maybe I'd asked them, he probably would have, but, um, it was just a difficult, it was a weird time, you know, during the quarantine. I'm just super thankful that um, they opened the gym doors for me during this time because they closed down and they haven't opened the doors to anybody else, uh, only to me and maybe one other fighter who's fighting for the UC as well. So um, it's, yeah, so uh, we it's been it's been a little weird. So we're working with it right now. When, when was your first training session? Like what part of the year was this? So you last fought in December in D.C. When did you start training at AKA? Um, I would say February or March. I can't remember. I think it might've been late February or early March. And it was kind of split. I was only there three days a week. And then the other four days, like the other time I was spending Sacramento with my other coaches, like strength and conditioning and um, so forth. So um, I didn't really get to experience the whole uh, atmosphere, like the whole thing, you know, being there for before they started closing down. So um, they closed soon after Khabib got sent to uh, left for Russia. Um, are you and Team Alpha Male? Uh, was it an amicable split? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm cool with those guys. I mean, it wasn't like we're not like on talking terms. It just was time for me to move on. I think a lot of things had changed, but you know, I don't I don't I don't have problems with anyone. Okay, yeah, I mean, after TJ left, I can never tell anymore. It's like, you know, yeah. uh, no. I into with those guys like that heck no <laughs> oh, okay fair enough uh okay so let's talk about this um like where you're at in this one like you, you, okay you're now at aka um you had to train during a weird time it's your first fight up a weight class right so we talked about some of the physical differences in terms of like technical growth where do you pinpoint the biggest areas of need like you're obviously you got shot out of a cannon into the ufc right with that win over amanda cooper and then pro gonzalez and then um joanne calderwood like incredible three-fight stretch and since then you've had some wins but it's been a little bit more up and down what are you looking to get out of this new chapter in your career that maybe was not quite there as much in the last one i think more just not letting a lot of personal things um you know outside uh, affect me um, I think it was really hard for me when I was going through the whole team change and I was fighting to kind of leave, felt like I was in the middle of it. Um, I wasn't as happy anymore. And so when it starts seeping into, you know, your career and your, your training, you know, it took a, a real big effect to me. And so for myself to completely remove myself from that and start somewhere fresh and really start focusing the same way that the same focus that I had back then, um, I think that's, that's what the difference is going to be. Um, you know, I'm going to be completely focused on this. I don't, really have to be in the middle of anything. Um, I have a lot of supportive people around me. So um, I think that's important because for me, I've always been a hard worker, but if it starts affecting my job, you know, it's obviously going to affect my performances. So you, it sounds like you've had a lot of outside the cage distractions. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I would say so. That it would, 
to, to certain, like it, it kind of all combined with what was probably going on with the gym and all the changes and stuff there. It really affected me a lot. Um, I felt like my parents were going through a divorce. <laughs> That's what it felt like, you know? So um, when you say changes at the gym, uh, help me understand what that means. Um, well, the coaching staff, you know, um, once we had switched over to a new gym, a lot of things changed in the program. Um, me still continuing to work with certain coaches when they were butting heads and it just kind of, it made it hard for me, you know? So I just felt it, it definitely weighed out on me. So I, it, it kind of felt better now that I kind of removed myself from that, that whole thing. Fair enough. Uh, at 125, you have to feel like you're in a good spot, right? Because, uh, they don't really have a whole lot of people for Shevchenko to fight. On the other hand, you have to fight Shevchenko. I wonder how you feel about 125. I mean, she's she's an amazing, um, you know, champion. Obviously, you know, um, very dominant. But I've I started, you know, my first couple fights were at 35s as an amateur. I fought the rest of them all at 25s. My first pro fight was at 25s. I would say I'm way better I, that this is the, the, where I belong. You know, I feel like I'm going to be able to sit down. I'm going to be a lot stronger at this weight class, in my opinion, um, because I'm not holding back on my nutrition and my strength. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, being scared of packing up too much muscle to make a weight cut harder, you know? So um, I think, I, you know, I think I'm going to do good. You know, she's predominantly, obviously she's, she's a well-rounded fighter. We, she's shown that time after time, but, um, her strengths is obviously stand up and my strength is grappling. And I really do feel like I have some of the best grappling in, you know, in MMA. So I think that's where I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shine a lot in this division. Um, in, in terms of how far you think you are from that point, right? You only have the one, you had a two fight win streak, then you had the draw. So it's not a loss. I mean, how, okay. You beat Jessica. I, it certainly bumps you up pretty close. One more, or is this good enough for a title shot? You think? Um, you know, it's, it'll really be up to the UFC. And like you said, there's not really many people in the division that are like up there to fight, you know, for, for her to fight. Um, I am a hundred percent willing to take the fight if they ask me to after this one, if not, you know, I'm willing to fight whoever, how, you know, however many times I need to. Um, it's been a very slow last two years, you know, in comparison to my first year in the UFC. So I want to fight, I want to fight as many times as I can, and I'm going to be able to do that at this division. And also, I mean, the UFC, you've seen it already. Hannah Cyphers, I think, is on either this card or the next one. Ian Heinish, we had him on the show yesterday. He's turning right around. If you get a win and you don't take a lot of damage, they'll just offer you another fight right away, it seems like. Yeah, no, and I'm totally down for that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I feel like I want to keep fighting. I want to keep putting names on there in my resume and just keep going and going. Like, um, you know, I, I want to build a legacy and, you know, and just sit around and wait for the opp perfect opportunity or, or, you know, feel like you need to train until, you know, oh, you're ready for that fight. Um, I think it's awesome. I'm, I'm really happy with the UFC that they're doing this and you know, the first, first uh, sport back and that, you know, Dana's keeping up to his word of saying that he says he'll promise all of us four fights. You know, if you don't want to fight, not to fight. If you want to fight, we'll give you a fight. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, and uh, Cypher is fighting on my card today. I think she just fought like last week or, you know, two weeks ago. So, uh, how do you feel about competing where there's no fans? I got to tell you, as an observer, I don't mind it to be, to be honest, because you get to hear everything now and the fight just comes more to life, but obviously you're a competitor. So it's a little bit different for you. Yeah. I mean, I have no clue. I've got, I mean, I've never competed, you know, in a place with no crowd, but 
I went, I have experience uh, being there for the contenders. I do remember how quiet it was and you could hear everything. Obviously a little bit different, but I feel like the nerves and in, in the fight is still going to be there. Like, uh, you know, we're going to show up and we're going to fight no matter what. And of course the cage being smaller, you know, it, it pushes for the action. Let me ask you a question. Sort of a weird thing. We'll end on this. Uh, you know, Amanda Nunez, she just can't find someone in uh, across two weight classes to give her a hard time. These days. I mean, Shevchenko, but you know, physically a hard time. If there was, if you could pick one female fighter to fight a dude of a similar weight, would Amanda Nunez have the best chance? I would say so for sure, hundred <laughs> percent. You think she could? You think she could? Could she beat a UFC level bantamweight on the men's side? Dude, um. I mean, it's, it's possible, uh, but I don't want to, you know, it's such a weird question to me. Like, it, I, <laughs> I just, I know some people would say that kind of shit, but like, uh, sorry, excuse my language, but I, I mean, come on. I mean, uh, that, that just sounds, sounds crazy. I mean, I know Henry Cejudo tries to joke about it and stuff like that, but yeah. I mean, can you please never like not. Let's not make that happen at all. <laughs> no, don't worry. They're not gonna. I'm just sort of uh, having fun with the idea. Well, Cynthia, I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens here. Up a weight class, new team, great opportunity, main event. Wins at your back a little bit on this one. So I'm excited. Of course, it's going to be Saturday. Uh, you are headlining this card and uh, against Jessica I. Lastly, about her, what do you make of her, right? It feels like um, she's a talented opponent, but a little bit, I don't know, conventional with the skill set. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? I mean, I can, I can see why a lot of people would say that. Um, I feel like she is another fighter just like Joanne Calderwood that made their move to Vegas and are actually getting better now. Um, mm. I feel like uh, maybe stayed, you know, so I think she's making a lot of improvements now that she's with the new team here in Las Vegas, but uh, not not a huge of a difference from, from you know, back then. So I feel like um, um, she's definitely still has the same strengths, you know, um, her strengths are obviously she likes to come forward. She's aggressive. She doesn't give, you know, she doesn't back up and she keeps going. So she's got a ton of heart and, you know, she, she's there for a reason. She's been around for a long time. I've been watching her since uh, her amateur days. So I'm super excited to fight her. I think it's going to be a great fight. Yeah, I can't wait to see it either. So as I mentioned, this is the headlining card. Uh, this will be I. Uh, well, here, let me make sure. I want to make sure I get this right in terms of where it's being shown on ESPN Plus and then ESPN. I believe it's going to be shown on both, if uh, memory serves. So looking forward to it. Main card kicks off at 9 p.m. Cynthia, uh, can't wait to see you fight. Appreciate your time. and looking forward to your main event. Thank you so much. Good. Thank you, guys. There she is, Cynthia. All right, uh, Luke Thomas Show coming right back. Stick around. The Yakin Barak Show. Iron Mike Tyson, iconic name, gave us the knee post on Instagram and Twitter. No caption needed. I mean, I, I like Mike's opinion. I would love to hear him speak on it, but I appreciate the post. I think a caption is so important. Being kneeled says it all, you know, but uh, people want to hear your words. People want to know what's, what's on your mind, Mike. You know, you're such an iconic figure. Uh, we love to hear you speak. Weekdays from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. All right, here's what we're talking about. If you guys didn't see this yesterday, NASCAR laid down the hammer on the Confederate flag, the stars and bars, the flag of Dixie. Uh, okay, here is what they say. This is the NASCAR statement. Quote, the presence of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events runs contrary to our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all fans, our competitors, and our industry. Bringing people together around a love for racing and the community that it creates is what makes our fans and sport special. 
the display of the Confederate flag will be prohibited from all NASCAR events and properties. That is their statement. To me, uh, let me tell you something. I grew up in the South, South Georgia, right? You guys ever heard of Berrien County, Georgia? It's, uh, and then Lowndes County. The only thing further south than Lowndes County, Georgia, is Florida. It is on the actual border. I mean, it is right there. So, actually, well, yes, I mean, for all intents and purposes, yes, that's true. So, um, in any event, uh, what does that mean? Well, I grew up there from, let's see, 91, and I graduated high school in 98, and then uh, spent some time there between, you know, summers and college or whatever, all the way back to 02 or so. And, uh, you know, I'm intimately familiar with parts of the South. Uh, granted, you have to understand something. All parts of the South are a little bit different. Louisiana is a little bit different than Texas, a little bit different than Mississippi. Certainly Florida's got its own vibe. And the Carolinas, too, aren't quite like Georgia and Alabama. But, and even then, Georgia and Alabama have some pretty significant differences. So, and the state itself has differences. There's really no one South, to be quite honest with you. Um, but try as they might, there are a group of people down there who wish to, when you go down to the South, here's what you kind of figure out about them a little bit. And I'm going to generalize, but there's at least a certain portion of the population where this is true. Again, in my experience, that they not only see the South as distinct from other parts of the country, even other parts of the country that have similar values, like the Midwest, right? Like people in Iowa and Georgia might have pretty similar voting preferences, but they don't see themselves as natively connected to them. So they see themselves as distinct and uh, separate in many ways better, and they want their own history, right? They're actually kind of proud of their own history, um, including but not limited to parts of the Confederacy. Now, some people will say it has nothing to do with that, but you know, when you really begin to drill down what it means, it inevitably becomes something like that. Now, it's, it's not just about that. It is true that you can find some forms of Southern identity that aren't necessarily tied to it, um, but the reality is you can't really have any, uh, at this point, even if Southern identity has drifted from that, which it has, and people in the South want to have this adoption of the flag, the stars and bars as something unrelated to the Confederacy, you cannot, you cannot, it is the official flag of the Confederacy. You cannot, you cannot have that. So when people make the claim that they, uh, want to have the flag, um, but without its, its significance related to the Confederacy, this is sort of like claiming that they want, I mean, this is a little bit of, this is a little bit simplistic, but this is, it's something like being like, well, I wear the swastika because Hitler was really good about getting Volkswagen off the ground and building the Autobahn. So it's a reflection of my pride in German engineering. It's like, well, okay, those are marvels of engineering and manufacturing, and that is certainly part of the German DNA. Even to this day, that's, I think we can all agree, German efficiency is a thing, but the problem is there's a bit of baggage that goes along with it. Whether or not that's a part you want to personally identify with, it is simply inevitable, right? This is the construction of the flag. This is what it means. And also, what you have to understand is this is inevitable, right? So here's how I know this. I lived in Georgia as a kid, when the Confederate flag was on the Georgia state flag. Do you guys remember this? There was a bunch of Southern states that had the Confederate flag as part of that flag. Um, and they slowly but surely took them all out. 
And it was a big to-do. It was a big problem. It was the end of the world back then, too. Everyone lost their mind at the time and then just kind of moved on, which is exactly what they're going to do here. I, I understand, I really do, I understand what Southern people mean when they say they, they, they have an identity that it means they're from the South and that they're proud of it. And these are deep familial ties and their family grew up there and they've been going to the same church for a hundred plus years. I understand that, I really do, I get that. But you just gotta find a better symbol. You have, you have taken that pride that you have and that history and you have handed it over to a symbol that denotes traitorous slaveholders. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You know, you bet on the wrong horse, man. And uh, it didn't go your way. And now the bill is due. So that, that's what this means. Anyway, people lost their mind, dude. They lost their absolute mind on this. Um, here are some tweets that were in response to this. And they allow protests during the national anthem to this son of a vet this father of a vet and a vet, NASCAR has gone too far for me. Two is spelled incorrectly. Well, as a vet, let me tell you something. I could not possibly care less. Quote, this is the last straw. I've been watching NASCAR events for 10 years, and I have weathered all of the SJWBS. I'm canceling my subscription and myself, my wife, and her boy. What? Her boyfriend will not be watching any for. <laughs> Any uh, further NASCAR events? You have lost a valuable customer. Okay, is that trolling, Cobb? That's a hilarious yeah, I comment. Missed, I, I think I missed that boyfriend part, and then, uh, there was a, there was a lot of those, by the way. And uh, it's funny that I got caught. I tried very hard to not get caught <laughs> picking up on the troll ones, which, by the way, was also very tough because some of it was so over the top that you couldn't tell. Like, is someone trolling right now, or are they actually serious about this? Uh, here we go. NASCAR is a sport born in the South. If you ban my flag, see what I mean? You are stepping on my Second Amendment right. You also will not make another dime from me. I will call all of the products I buy and uh, tell them, uh, I guess their name, will no longer buy their products because of this. You can kiss my southern ass. This is what I mean. You see what I'm saying? NASCAR forgets who built NASCAR. With these southern rednecks, NASCAR would not be where it is today. The Confederate flag is a symbol of heritage. I haven't seen any looting or burning under the Confederate flag. That's got to be trolling, right? <laughs> That's got to be trolling. Couldn't couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's like it's like word. You don't you don't recall all the crosses that have been burned with that thing. Okay, because I I, I would try to like check the Twitter account, and some of them made it seem like this is totally possible that a person can think this. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Uh, I have always watched NASCAR and grew up on racetracks. I have to take a stand here. Being politically correct is not always the best stand to take. Some of these choices are doing away with the history of our country from its roots. That's true. You know, that argument, Cobb, is not wrong. Like when they say some of these choices are doing away with the history of our country from its roots. Yes, that is true. It is a conscious choice by the people who remain to no longer honor uh, the traitorous South. That's it. That's what that's what they, they, you're right. That is, and history is written, written by the winners, which, by the way, I'm not even sure is the best way to have history written. Uh, I, have a, I have a reason to think that it might not actually be. Um, and, you know, listen, there were people who were competing or fighting for the Southern Army who, who didn't want to or uh, didn't agree with slaveholding. There is part of that, too, right? I mean, there, all these situations can get kind of complicated as you begin to drill down. But this is what I mean. It's like, dude, I have the D.C. flag tattooed on my forearm, um, and I actually researched the meaning of the flag. It was something that George Washington actually had come up with. Um, but it's a sign of our independence. Uh, it's a sign. I get it. I understand what it means to have 
an attachment to a flag and what that flag can mean for your life and how you identify with it. The problem is <laughs> you picked the wrong flag, man. You, you could, you're trying to tell us it means something it doesn't because it means that for you. Right. But that's not all that it means. And you cannot erase that other part, no matter what you would like to say, it will forever remain there. Um, let me see. I'm okay with them banning the Confederate flag. Will they also ban flags from domestic terrorism groups like Black Lives Matter? <laughs> Intellectually thoughtful and patriotic minds would like to know. Um, this isn't about the flag now. This is about NASCAR jumping onto the political bandwagon and trying to tell people what they can and can't do. It's their property, my guy. Unfortunately, it will be too late with the repercussions hit. Chapter 7 will be in your future. You know what's funny about this is, um, first of all, it's like... I like how they view this as a function of being politically correct. Like, I'm sure there are people who have bent to various forms of pressure in this situation, not the NASCAR situation, but various forms of symbolism as a function of political correctness. I mean, that is not a very hard argument to make. Of course, on some level in our society, this is a real pressure that various entities face, whether it's sports organizations or anybody else. Fine. I will not die on that hill. However... You have to be deeply out of touch with the tenor of the country and an understanding of the pain that this causes people and the uh, actual nature of, I mean, understand that the slaveholding South, that is Nazi Germany, right? That is, that we are talking about moral crimes on par with one another, right? Societies who get over that past are the ones that burn the bridge to them. Well, Time to burn the bridges, folks. That's what this is about. The ones who move on past these roots are the ones that acknowledge all of their horrors. There is no moral difference uh, at all between the Germans murdering millions of Jews and slaveholding South. They are on par with one another, and you have to say that out loud. And once you do, and once you realize for 400 years we did this to people, and that people wanted to secede from the rest of the country in order to preserve that, you have to do away with their iconography. You are left with no other choice but to do that. That is the responsibility that an entity has. Nay, nay the political correctness. And that, to me, is where these folks are just... They, they, you are on the losing side of history here, not once now, but it seems like twice. Uh, here are some other ones. Uh, let's see. But I bet people can fly their rainbow flags all day. Yeah, I guess. Uh, First Amendment, someone asks. <laughs> I don't have a Confederate flag, but appreciate Americans' right to fly one. They have a right to fly one, just not at NASCAR events, which is a private property. Particularly represents their great-great-grandfathers died for. Yeah, they might have. The Confederate flag is history to be proud of and fly the flag. Certain people don't like it too bad. Uh, okay. 877-FIGHT-93. Matt is in Georgia and has no problem with the rebel flag. Now, Matt, where in Georgia are you? Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't paint that on me. I didn't call and say I don't have a problem with the rebel flag. That's okay, hold on now. because uh, Hold on, Matt, because that's what the call screener wrote. So tell me what you're... Well, first of all, tell me where you're from in Georgia. Just give me a general area if you don't want to give the city, and then tell me what your, what your opinion is. Mid-Georgia. Okay, I'm fair enough. Mid-Georgia, below Macon. All right, fair enough. What's on your mind, bud? I was in college when the rebel flag came off of the state flag of Georgia. The important thing to tell you is, is that Mississippi still has the rebel flag as That's right. part of their state flag, so it's not all gone. 
That's right. Uh, number two, I don't have a problem with it. I I have you know, I played football. I I had friends, and then at the time, it was just a pretty thing to me. But it didn't mean anything because it is wrong. Traitorous is a little hard to swallow, but wrong, yeah, 100%. So no problem giving that up. But there are a lot of people that feel that same way about the United States flag. And that is what I foresee my fear of, is at which point can I not be proud of that flag? Because I don't have any problem at all with not offending my fellow person. And I understand, and yeah, the, the, you know, you can just tie it hand in hand. I'll, I'll even swallow it. Nazi Germany, slavery, even though slavery still exists in this world. But I have a, I just, you know, no problem with NASCAR banning it. I think it's overdue. I think it is hurtful when you go, especially to Talladega, and you see it because there are African American people in the stands. Yep. I just wonder, is it going to stop there? Because there are people who feel the same way about the United States flag. That's it, brother. I believe right. me, I ain't supporting that. We, we, we don't fly that flag. All right, fair enough, Matt. It's a great point. It's a great question. You know, I don't know the answer to that. Personally, I'll tell you, as a vet, I actually don't like the intermix between um, the military and sporting events. Now, I realize that's a sort of a crazy thing to argue. The reason why I say that is because y'all know how I feel about this. When, when, when UFC and Bellator and whoever else didn't put out a thing in support of Black Lives Matter and Gushers Candy did, I wasn't really mad at Bellator and, and UFC for that because, to be honest, like I don't care about Gushers making you know, fucking candy. I, pardon my language, but I don't care about that kind of thing. What I care about is if you really believe that stuff, that should be woven into the fabric of the identity of your business, right? So you could say whatever you want as a PR release about how much that stuff, you know, racial equality matters to you. How are your hiring practices? What have you really done in terms of that kind of thing? And I say it with vets all the time, y'all. Y'all know I say this all the time which is any organization can go out there and tell me how much they love veterans. The NFL can trot out a veteran who is uh, or active duty service member who just came home from Afghanistan and is surprising his family early and everyone gets the tears and all the stuff. Hey man, who's against family reunions? Nobody's against family reunions. I don't care. It doesn't tell me how much you love veterans. You want to tell me how much you love veterans? How many do you hire? How many do you hire? Right. So when it comes to this iconography, to me, this is, you know, picking up on something that should have been done a long time ago. Uh, as far as the other stuff, I, you know, I don't care if they get rid of all flags, to be honest with you. But I guess at some point um, they won't. Right. They'll sort of lean into the patriotic angle, the public angle of the American one. Beyond that, I think as long as it has real third party validation, a state flag, um, the organizational flag is where it gets kind of interesting. Right. Certain organizations that might have certain flags that represent certain things. Listen, it's going to be up to the various organizations themselves to decide which ones they tolerate and which ones they don't. But, you know, to me, not taking into consideration uh, the views of the, uh, you know, the Confederacy, uh, you know, frankly, it's long overdue. And this is the way it's headed. It's just the way it's headed. It's just, this is how it's going. It's, this is where we are going. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas show live and in its entirety weekdays from three to 6 PM. Eastern on Sirius XM fight nation channel 156. on Twitter. Follow at L Thomas news and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.